So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Today, we're going to have a great conversation that I think is really applicable for everybody. It's a foundational principle that really you have to understand, and a lot of people don't understand because we're not taught this stuff in school and in our life, but finance, budgeting, expenses, you know, all this stuff. If you're trying to get in search of financial freedom, the foundation of whatever you build to achieve that goal, that is on the back of capital management. And if you can't understand the basics, you can't really grow from there. And it stuffs out opportunities And me and Rock have had lots of conversation on allocation of capital and expenditures, when things are appropriate and not. And I think this is a universal concern that people have and don't fundamentally understand when should I buy things? When should I buy a house? When should I buy a car? Is it appropriate to take a vacation or not? And it's a good question. Not one that I think a lot of people don't have good answers to. In fact, I think not only do they not have good answers to, but they go to the wrong people. They go to a bank, a realtor, right? They go online or whatnot. And if the bank tells you you can afford it, that's how much you buy. And you're looking at other people to make very, very large decisions. I don't ever let realtors tell me what something's worth. And I don't ever let banks tell me what I can afford. The reason is, is their incentives have nothing to do with you. They simply look at the financial statement overall, and they're trying to maximize out of your income what comes their way. And uh, most people leave their finances to other people. I I just think most people aren't educated on it, and and they just kind of make decisions based on emotion or just immediate need. And it it can put you in a system or a cycle that you feel that you can't get out of. Or two, it can just cut years of your life where all of a sudden you're working to pay off debt. I know either we've all been in this scenario or we all know people who are, whether this is school debt, whether this is credit card debt, whether this is a house you can't afford, a car or any of that kind of stuff, you purchase things you shouldn't have. And you don't understand when you should be investing, when you should buy, and what the appropriate levels are. That's what we're talking about today. And we hope we can give the listeners a framework and some guidance on how to make those decisions and when the appropriate times are to invest, to make large expenditures, and also to to leave your job, right? When's the right time to leave your job after you've been financially free and everything like that, which is appropriate timing to talk about that subject. Yeah. I think a good place to start is when to spend the money. So making big purchases. You're right. And spending money is interesting. And you could start right off the bat from people leave home and go to college and they're spending money and they don't even know they're spending it. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. but they are, they're accruing debt. Right. And it's like we're started in a bad cycle because you immediately start by other people telling you what to buy, how much you can afford, and allocating debt that you don't understand, right? Most of us go and we figure out what school I want to go to and what degree, but 
that's based upon what school will accept. And then I just go to that one and then I go and get a loan from loan officers or student programs or whatever it is. And then they tell you, here's, this what, you is, here's what you can have. Yep. And then you simply take it. Yep. And that's a just a horrible start, but that is how most of us start. I mean, we're your kids. You're 18, 19, you're a kid. Yeah, you don't even know. Don't even know. And so I think for most of us, if you're not in that case, that's great. Or if you're getting into that, I mean, how do you break that cycle and how do you tackle on these bad decisions? And I mean, it's a great question where to start because all of us start in a different place. How did you start thinking about this? I mean, it's not like you didn't come out, have a great job, anything else like that. But when you first start making money, that's not what your parents gave to you. You want to spend it. I never thought that. I I always figured I'd save my money and and spend what I thought would be acceptable. And so, I mean, I dropped out of school when I couldn't afford it. It's not. And where'd that come from? I would. I mean, to me, it's common sense. Like, I, I mean, my parents, they save money, but it's not like a crazy thing that they forced on our throat. I just think that I I, I think it through more. Most kids don't think it through. Most people don't think it through. For me, I was raised don't get into debt. It was that was very clear to me from an early on. It was a fundamental principle. Debt's bad. I mean, that was just almost universal. And it was a great thing to understand. Now that's obviously a much more complex subject. But having those kind of discussions and key, I think you need guidance through. So I would suggest, first of all, if you're starting out, you need to find somebody that can help you guide, guide you through those those things. My dad, he was very financial savvy, things like that. He helped me through when I didn't, when I didn't know what to ask, and I had friends that were not so lucky, and they rushed into things that they didn't know they should, and the people that they were asking were not on their side. And I think that understanding the information that you get on this stuff, whether it's through a school or a vendor, like you need to understand their motives. So the bank's motives are simply to indebt you to pay them. That's all their motives are. It's not to get you a nice, your dream house. That's not, the bank doesn't care. Right. right. Real estate agents don't care. They want their commission, right? And on and on and on and on again. So you need to look at people that are interested in your, let's say, financial safety and happiness and go to them to start out to understand when you're going into school and taking out debt right? And things like that to make those big decisions starting out. Now that's getting started. And once you get a job and once you start living a normal life and having income, it becomes, I'd say a little more complicated. And people may say it's not complicated, but it kind of is. And I believe it should be. You should put a lot of thought into this. These are your resources after all, and how you use them will determine what you do. So whether you're a single family or multifamily home, you have two sides, right? You have your revenue, And you have your expenses. And that's really what we're trying to tackle here is how to manage revenue and how to manage expenses. And these concepts and being good at this moves into everything. This moves into business investing, right? All those different areas. And you get an opportunity to master them right off the bat. What are some tools that you used when you actually started making money and you started wanting to invest, things like that? How did you run your finances from home? I mean, I just spent what I needed to spend to live. I didn't buy crazy things. I just... Did you budget? Kind of. I mean, I kind of in my mind knew that I should spend X amount and 
save X amount. And I kind of just started with my savings first and then worked backwards and spent within my means. I, I think this is straightforward stuff. Yeah. Don't spend more than you make. Yeah. Save money. I think where people go wrong is where they start to buy things out of their means to, to impress people or, or just because they want it. And that's where they start to taper in the wrong direction. That's actually a great, I think a great place to start out is actually, that's where you should start. You should look at your motives for purchase, determining needs versus wants. And although this is simple, a lot of people don't do this. Um, in, in two, even when you deal with homes, there is a point where a home is not something to live in, but it is a luxury item. Um, and because your bank says you can afford $300,000 doesn't mean you should spend it. So there's good reasons to make financial decisions. And then there's two, there's complete reasons. Right. You're right. Impressing people, no matter what's always a bad decision. Why buy the brand new car when you can buy the junker that runs? I mean, there's just no reason for it. And if you can eliminate having car debt, which is one of the worst debts that have ever been created. I mean, it depreciates, but your debt doesn't. In fact, your debt goes up. <laughs> you got interest rates and you have those either a balloon payment, right? Or the, the cost of it to so your car. And I think this is important we need to touch on here. We need to talk about debt. Because if we're talking about making a decision to do purchases, and especially when you're doing big ones, and debt, we have to understand some fundamental principles. Like if you're going to buy a car and that car is $50,000 and you're putting $45,000, most people think, oh, the cost is $45,000. But if you're borrowing, that's not true. But we don't think about that, or I don't think most people do. And as that cost is much higher because of interest rates and how that works, also too, the value of what you're buying is not $50,000, let's say, because you bought it. It's just those things aren't because they have tags. That's not what they mean. And when you're trying to deal, so cars always depreciate. So you buy a car new and drive it off the lot. It's 5000 or whatever less than you immediately bought it for. And I know car companies, things like that, they make a lot of money off loaning. And the last three years in a row, I think, are all-time high for car loans. So in the United States, we're borrowing more than we've ever borrowed from cars. And they're acting like banks, as in you walk in and you, they say, well, what, you know, what car do you want? And you say, well, I'm not sure exactly in price values. Well, why don't we look and see how much, what we can get you? Yeah, they look at what, they, what the monthly payment is. Exactly. And say, oh, yeah, I can afford whatever, 500 bucks a month. Now, first of all, too, it's a balancing act because you need to make a purchase. You got to have a car. And two, if you buy a car that doesn't work, you could actually spend more. more. Yeah, you just got to buy something reasonable. Buy something reasonable. Um, get a Toyota. Or a Honda. That's right. It just doesn't. It's it doesn't do it. I don't. I don't know about you. I'm trying to remember how you've done. I know we've talked about this before. My so some of my cars have reached. My first purchase wasn't a purchase. I I leased it, and the reason I leased it was because first of all, people are like, "Oh, you're not putting money into it, though, so it's not yours. Like you don't get an asset." And I'm like, "But this isn't an asset, anyways. It's just losing value." And this can work and not work. And I think a perfect example is my first one that I leased. I, I, I leased a Toyota Tundra, right? And it was paid by my business. So it didn't come out of my personal expenses. But when I brought it back, it was worth like 12000 less because yeah. I had an option to buy, right? So I liked this idea that at the end, I'd have an option to buy. And if I chose to buy it, the monthly payments that I put into that car were applied to the price. So it's as if I owned it, right? And so then I got this choice, right? It's like, I got to test it. And if I wanted it, 
Now, saying no meant I forfeited it, but I was forfeiting a few thousand dollars when the car had lost 12000 in value. I gave them the keys back, and I did it again. And then the second one, they wanted to buy. They actually called me before I had a three-year term, right? They called me. It was like a year and a half into it. And I, and I knew there's something going on because they, they called me and they're like, we, we, hey, why don't you bring your car in? We'll pay you for your car. We'd, li- we'd like to get your Tundra. So I took my Tundra. I got another Tundra because I'm lame and I just know what I like and I love the Tundra. It just works great. Never, I've, I've had three and I've never taken them in. That's besides the point. But I took it in and it was the opposite. It was worth like 15000 more than it was when I bought it. I immediately purchased it. Mm-hmm. I walked in and said, no, nope, I'm buying it. And I, and I bought it right off the bat. Because the setup had changed, and uh, I paid it off immediately. But you've gone through your first car. Did you buy, or was that? Yeah, I bought it, and then uh, yeah, ran that up, and then bought another Honda, and I'm gonna run that one up. And it's just the easiest way to do it. You also have a truck, right? Yeah, yeah, I got a truck to haul the dogs around in, which is <laughs> another expense that I mean, it doesn't matter to me, but. Yeah. If I was short on money, then I probably not. I'd have one car. Yeah. Do you, do you just sell the truck or? Yeah. yeah. I, I, there's no point. It's just two hundred bucks a month. It's not even. Or, and on like a three thousand dollar note, it's not even worth talking about. Now that we're talking about payment levels and we're talking about stuff, it, I use my business. So there's there's multiple ways, and you need to understand setup. My business paid for mine, so it was different. It was a write off, all that kind of stuff. Even though I could afford it, and when I bought it, I paid it off. Even though the payments didn't matter, I could afford the payments, but I didn't want the debt and I didn't want to take it off because the future to me was unknown. And I run it till it's dead. That's my mode with both of them. My wife has a car. She has a Buick, which we just paid for. Now I can do that because I'm in a position now. We didn't used to be in that position. So we bought Tessa. Uh, Tessa's my wife. We bought her like a little Jeep. And it was 5000 bucks, and we paid it off within like five months. But we allocated our revenue. So if you're, if you're an individual, you have your income. We tried to pay off the worst debt first, which was all consumer debt, which I viewed a car as too. And we paid that off quickly. We haven't really talked about credit card debt because I, I want to make it clear. I, I don't know how you feel, but I think credit cards are important. I don't want to say that. We'll talk about, I'll, I'll have you talk about why credit cards are important in a minute. But holding debt on credit cards, that's just, for me, that's a no. You just don't do it. I pay it off every single, I never accrue. It never rolls over. I don't have interest on them and I have large caps, but credit card debt, you just never let it roll over. I think that's end of story. Why are they important? I would say to help build your credit, and obviously there's point benefits to doing it. But other than that, I don't I don't see much of another reason. Did you have? How did you accrue credit before? I used a credit card. You used a credit card, yeah. and did that help you buy your first home? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have a funny story. It's almost a little embarrassing, but what year did you buy your first home? Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Okay, I bought mine in oh nine. Okay. So we're, we're going to talk, I, I want, I'm going to talk about the reasons that I purchased mine and building up to that. And then we're going to talk about yours. They're very different. And so they're perfect contrast because I bought mine. It was an 09 and all of us that know we're, we're around. That was the financial crisis, right? Me and my wife had been renting at $300 a month for years. We had a baby. We were ready to get into a home. There was a developer that had gone under. I went to buy the home. And 
they would not loan me the money. I actually had to have my parents sign on the loan. And the reason I think it's funny, it's not because I didn't have enough money or I didn't make enough money. I actually made the price of the home was equal to my income. And it was also equal to my savings in the bank account. So I actually had the cash to pay off the home at any time. And they would not loan it to me. I actually had to have another person sign. I don't know why, but it's a great example of how debt in most instances makes no sense in the economy. Mm-hmm. It depends on who you're dealing with, loans, fluctuations in cycle. I bought that house because I thought at the time it was depressed prices, right? It was a good deal. We needed a home to raise a family. We were going to have another child. So we bought a home in the first one. Now, it's a very big contrast to the way that you did it. Why don't you kind of talk about why, too, why you bought? I bought a duplex and it's a house hack. So I had to, I mean, with an F, buy with an FHA loan, you need, it's a government backed loan. You need a 700 credit score or something around there. So I had to build credit in order to be able to get the loan. And as, as long as I had the credit and the down payment, it was, it was a done deal. I was able to use the tenant's credit or the tenant's income to help with my fundability. But other than that, it was, it was a pretty straightforward, easy deal. You were doing this though to accrue assets. Yeah. More than, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to own the duplex and have the cash flow from it. I was doing mine because I wanted right. to live in mm-hmm. where you were accruing assets. You go, say hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm actually glad I didn't do that just because the time frame that I would have done that would have been the three years before the financial crisis. Right. But, but in all normal given circumstances, makes I sense. think that makes sense. My cousin Bart, he did the exact same thing multiple times. It was just right here. He had a duplex. And he used the collateral on that to buy him and his family a really nice home, everything else like that. And he kept his duplex and it still was cash flow positive when he did it. Yeah. It's such an amazing strategy that can set you up. For those of you that don't know, me and Rock are just huge house hacking fans. Yep. We've done that in commercial real estate. We're actually doing it right now where we're office hacking, I guess you could say. Yep. We're office hacking an office building where we're buying the commercial building but and moving our offices into it, but our tenants pay the bills. And that does all the things that you're looking for. You have on yours, did you put money into it? Did you have monthly payments that you still needed to meet? Uh no, it was covered pretty much across. So you have no payments on your so instead of paying rent that you don't get anything from, you don't pay anything. You're still gaining equity and you're still piling on assets. A lot of times we talk about and we've talked about first you have school debt, right? And you have car debt, income debt, those things take you back. Right. This one pushes you forward. Yeah. The contrast of the two could not be more severe. Right. I mean, that completely set you up. Yeah. It gives you a foundation to build off of. Exactly. And it can shoot you just so far forward instead of constraining because debt essentially is like chains, right? Yeah. And it locks you into servitude. You have to service that debt. That's why they call it service. So you are working for somebody else. Right. You own the liability. The bank owns the asset. You have to pay for it. And you have to get a job to make sure you can pay for that. When you're in that position and we talk about eventually you want to become financially free and eventually you want to quit your job and do your own thing, right? Well, if you've got these huge debt payments to be made, that money now can't be invested. That money now can't go to starting up businesses. And that money now you have to work for it to make sure you pay it. Right. And so all of a sudden you're servitude to your job and your servitude to the bank. It's the total opposite of everything we're going for. Right. Right. Now that doesn't mean debt's bad. Okay. I want to make this very clear. 
but there are different types of debt and there are different times when you should accrue it and your expenditures you should have and how they should go. And when talking about this, I mean, Rock talked about it. I wanted to create a framework or almost like a map of mind map to make these decisions because you know, we're in a time right now. How easy is it to find a duplex for you to move into? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Not everybody could do it, right? So then it becomes, should I buy a house? Should I not? Well, they go talk to a bank or a realtor. They're all going to say yes. Yeah. They're going to make it work, right? Me and Rock were working last night and we kind of wrote this up on the wall on almost a decision-making pattern for expenses. And if you looked at it at a graph and you had the right side, which is the tall side, uh, let's say that's your income, how much you make. And then there's really three things that I look at and that we're, we talk about here. Um, and we'll kind of break down into the three things that are go horizontally that should decide on your expenditures, how much you can spend or how much debt you should take on. And first of all, that's the amount of just simply how much you can afford, obviously. Now, right. that's the one that everybody looks at. Like you said earlier, what are the monthly payments? Yep. Right? But the next one that we have on the side, you have risk and then you have your goals. So those are the three things. Now, let's talk real quick about risk. What you can afford is simple. If you can't afford a $500,000 house, you can't afford it. So if that's what banks and people will tell you, right? Risk and goals though, this, the rest of the equation, this is up to you. Nobody's going to help you with this. and Nobody's going to talk to you about this. And risk starts to come in to talk about debt and the different types of debt. If you look at even like me and Rock, the debt on my house was obviously way different from the debt on Rock's house. They're two totally different things. The reason being is your debt was creating wealth for you. And it was being paid for. It was yeah. being paid for. Mine was not. I was paying for my debt. And when you're working with a bank, like right now you're trying to get, you're trying to get debt, right? Talk about how you use debt. Well, I mean, if, if you're going to use debt, you should be spending the money to, on something that will make you money. So if you get a mortgage, ideally, I mean, unless you're living in the house, because everyone needs to live in a house. If you're using a bank loan, you should be buying something that produces cash flow. Or if you're buying product, you should be able to sell it at a profitable rate. There's no purpose to spend money you don't have for something that is just consumable and you don't need because it just sets you back. It's complete backs. I, I don't understand why that doesn't compute for me. And you you have long-term debt, like you have mortgages, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you also work and you have like lines of credits. Right. What are the difference between those two things? The mortgages are just 30-year mortgages, fixed rate. So I know that the rates will... Uh, well, I think they do fluctuate based on if they get sold, but I, I know that the properties can cash flow. So it's just more of a fixed income. My mortgage is a thousand bucks, and I make twenty five hundred. My cash flow is fifteen hundred minus any expenses. With the lines of credit, it's a a line of credit is basically you can have it. I don't even know how to describe this. You can have a line of credit that you don't use and just sits there and doesn't cost you anything other than an origination fee and, and some, some other fees. But, but as you use it, you'll get charged interest only uh, for a certain period of time. And what, you, what most inventory-based businesses or any business in general, service-based businesses, they'll use it to float their periods of low cash flow and then pay it back down as they produce more of a profit or more income. 
And so it's kind of just to hold them over. So you have like an open line of credit that if you're throwing in like a new product, if you're investing in something in your business, you'll do it that month and then maybe pay it off the next month, but it's always there in case you need it. Yeah. And you don't really want to use it on stuff that you don't know will produce income. So you try to use it on the things that are working. Does your bank, did your bank put stipulations on what you could use it for? Or was it really just open? You could do whatever you want. With it, it was open. It had to be used for the business, but yeah. it was, I mean, they didn't have any big stipulations. They don't for ask. It. You just draw. Right. Yep. yep. Okay. That's similar to ours. So we have large lines of credits too, like Rock was talking about. And now this is important to know, and this needs to be very clear. Just because Rock has a line of credit doesn't mean he doesn't have the money to pay. For. And that is the same with us. So very large lines of credit that we utilize, but even though we have the money to pay for it, right? why do you do that? I guess I don't need to do it. I, and I haven't really done it. I've been doing it just to show the bank that I'm using it so I can push my line of credit higher. But I mean, even my bank, I tried to go and increase it and they said that, uh, they just ticked me off. They, they said that my, my business was making too much money and growing too fast and that they wouldn't increase my line of credit. And I said, it's not how that works. You don't make sense. And I'm looking for a new bank right now. So to be honest with you, I don't have a good reason as to why I use it because my theory of them doing something didn't work. And so ideally if I was struggling on cash flow, they would be, that would be there to help me. Or if I had a big order come in and I need to place a big order, I need to pull the line of credit to use it. That's what it would be used for. I assume you like to keep that cash on hand. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it looks better for everything. Everything. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the principal reasons we do it. Also too, one of the reasons that we do it, it's a, it's a way to convert cash flow differently. So your tax implications of using debt are none which is important to know. Like I may, I, I may finance other projects with debt that I use to expand and grow where I won't use capital, even that I have, I don't want to use cash flow because pulling the cash flow out in that manner as a way of income results in a tax expenditure. Whereas if I just pull off a line of credit and I buy a new property or do whatever, I don't have the tax uh, complications of it. And then I use the cash flow to pay off the debt, which then in return gives me a write-off. And two, if you're talking about a tax of like 35%, you know, debt is an extremely good tool to use to increase your cash flows and um, lower your overall expenditures. It, and that's where you look at it, that using debt in that way is responsible. In fact, it helps you. We have high cash flows. We can pay it off at any time. Right? Yep. There's no, there's almost no risk at all because we could literally just transfer money in a big account uh, to pay it off. So that's way more responsible than taking money out and paying a tax on it and taking the loss. Right now, that when this comes back into dealing with risk, that's how I view risk and why we utilize it. Why we do? We don't use debt willy nilly. Me nor Rock. Um, first of all, you know, neither one of us are going out and buying. Ferraris or stupid stuff, consumables, bag or whatever it is, trips. We're not going to Vegas on debt. And once again, that is bad debt. Good debt is debt that helps you save and increase your cash flows. Now, risk is important and this changes how much you can spend. So, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. And and for me, when I had my sales job, for example, my income would fluctuate. It probably wasn't that secure. And those people that are in sales know. So the quality to me of your revenue that you bring in 
also changes how much you can spend. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not just the type of expenditure. We're not just talking about debt. We're not just talking about good or bad debt. We're also talking about the revenue that you bring in. If you have a job that you just got, right? If you just got a job, you probably shouldn't go take out large amounts of debt. Right. Right. And two, if you're living on one income and everything you do is solely based upon that income, that risk has to be attributed higher because at any minute you can lose it. So if you maximize your debt off that income, to me, that's a ticking time. Right. Yeah. You're not secure. Whereas your revenues right now, so you're taking out a line of credit, but you have multiple revenues Mm -hmm. from multiple streams. Right. And a lot of these are secure, right? You, I mean, you have real estate assets, you have business income, you have consulting income, you have these different lines of revenue. Well, that diversifies your risk as with me. So I have multiple assets that produce revenue. I have two businesses that produce revenue. So theoretically you have lower odds of losing that revenue. You should be able to put on a lot more debt than you'd say the regular person, right? right? Because it's that revenue is more secure. That's the same with me. Now, with that said, I live on in full transparency. I have a debt to income of negative. So I make more money than my debt is. And also I my debt to cash on hand is negative too, which means I have more money sitting inside than my debt. This is not to brag. That's not what I'm doing. This is simply to be fully transparent in how I use debt when I'm teaching about this subject. And two, to tell you why I do and why the, where these principles come from. And rocks the same way. And I need to state, though, that that is different from assets that you own. So I have debt on real estate assets that are businesses, and those are protected from me through LLCs and different manners, right? Mm-hmm. But personally, that's, you know, that's how I run, and that's how Rock runs, too. He lives in his assets. So then why wouldn't we go and totally leverage ourselves? buy, you know, tons of toys and mansions and go to Hawaii and all that kind of stuff. Why wouldn't we use debt if that's secured and we can pay for it? Because we can. Banks give us the debt to borrow and everything else like that. Why wouldn't we do it? That's where it comes into the third marker. So the first one is how much you can afford, right? And then the second one is risk. Risk is divided into two parts. And this is important to remember. Risk is the quality of revenue and it is also the quality of expenditures. So debt is different than buying food. That's fairly straightforward and simple. Remember that. But then debt is also, there's good debt and bad debt. So risk, you need to analyze. If you're in a house that has two incomes and you base all your expenditures and debt off one income, that's really good, right? You're safe, more safe and secure because you're hedging. But the third one to me is really important and it's probably one of the things that both you and I spend most of our time thinking about and analyzing and that is the cost of capital that is the cost uh, opportunity cost and and so this last one is goals it's what are you trying to do and what are you trying to achieve and for me i have very clear goals i want to achieve a lot of things i have businesses i want to start things that i want to invest in and i have certain steps I'm trying to take forward in my life. And that changes the way that I use and allocate capital in my life. I do not care what necessarily people think if they think I'm super rich or anything like that. I don't care about driving fancy cars. I don't care about Armani suits, that kind of stuff. That that just doesn't interest me. It's not necessarily that those things 
are inherently bad. Those have nothing to do with my goals though. Right. Right. So for me, how I use my expenditures changes where I'm going and that changes where anybody's going because the resources that you have is affected by your expenditures and the resources that you have are what you use to build. Right. Talk about how that those resources got you to where you are by measuring your capital and allocating it correctly. Let me put it this way. Like when you start out, you had virtually no expenses. You had not even living expenses because they were paid for. You were saving money. Yeah. Right. And you could have bought cars. You could have bought a nice house. You could have done those things, but you chose to allocate that capital differently in accordance to what you were trying to achieve and your goals you'd laid out. Just putting money into things that would make more money just makes sense to me. So, I mean, most people, I, I just think most people don't th- don't know what to put their money into. Mm-hmm. And I had been reading about like Rich Dad Poor Dad and I've been learning a lot of e-commerce stuff. And so it made sense for me to, to try and find a duplex to live in. And it made sense to try and start an online business. And it made sense to learn about marketing and all these other things. So I think most of the time, it's not that people don't want to do it. Well, and, and part of it's a lot of work. It is a ton of work. Yeah. And it's easier to not do put in the work and just get the get the nice car with yeah. with the initial sum of money that you might have or your savings that you have and then people may think you're successful yeah yeah and that's, that's the best of both worlds that's a lot of a lot of people will do that but it makes more sense to me to build an infrastructure that can get those things later on cuz on a one time purchase then you you just spend all the money on the car but you could build a business or get a couple of properties that would pay for the car and then when you're done with the car you could sell it and still have your other stuff so that makes more sense to me is to build something that could pay for the stuff that you want rather than. And I think, so, okay, you hit on something that's important here. And I, I think I want to clarify because me and, me and Rock have always been very similar. Rock, uh, you're talking about you understand. And for me, it was understanding the same principle as in that there's a trade-off, right? If I buy this, this means I'm giving something else up. And for me, what I was giving up was freedom. Yeah. And that was never, it, it, and not only was I giving up freedom later on, I was actually enslaving myself to the dead on the car. Yeah. So it was, it's like, if you, if you have a W2 job, yeah. If you're, yeah. if you're a job, if you, you have, have a job. job. Yeah. And I knew that if I could save, invest, start businesses up, that I was buying myself freedom and opportunity down the road. Right. right? So I want, I want a second home, right? I want you know, all these kind of things, but two, also my goals are very, very big. So I need high cash flow to do it. I needed to save a lot of money to achieve that. And to put this in perspective, you need to work backwards, working backwards. So we got to hit on one thing before we get there. You talked about this and this is really important. A lot of people don't know what to necessarily put their money into. And just because you don't know what to put your money into it is what you should be doing as a before that you should be saving money and figuring out what to put it into. Right. So building that financial vehicle we talk about, right? You had yours kind of starting out or whatnot, but you were saving up money and figuring it out as you went. Right. And your expenditures allowed you to fail. By not having crazy, crazy expenses. Exactly. I don't see, oh, I guess some, I don't know how people do that to themselves. It just makes sense. Don't, don't, why would you be paying, if you make a thousand dollars and your bills are a thousand dollars, what are you doing? Yeah. That, I mean. You're paying it to other people. You're literally working for 
whoever it is that you're working for. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. And I I wouldn't I just wouldn't put myself in that situation. That's just common sense to me and I'm sorry if I'm sure if people are saying like, "Um, oh, that's me." And I'm it's like, "I'm sorry. Well, should have made better decisions and you should try to work your way out of them right now." Yeah. Otherwise, you'll just keep being on you're, that yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and I understand people, there's people that are compul- they compulsively buy or they I think one of, honestly, you hit it on it too. One of the biggest parts is this stuff isn't easy because it does take not only guided effort, but two, it takes... Well, growing isn't easy, but yeah. not putting yourself in that situation is easy. Yeah, just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But getting getting to a higher level, that's that's, that's hard. the hard you part. Because ha- you have to create something. You right. You have to create a financial vehicle. You have to invest within a vehicle. Well, two, we um, talking about getting and using this capital and resources to get there. How, when people don't know, this is the crux of it, how to figure out, you need to work backwards. So, and, and we did this early on. We picked a goal, what you want to do, yeah. work backwards from it. So if you need, if you're saying, listen, my goal for financial freedom is $60,000 a year. Okay. Then you have two options. You save enough and invest and compound out those returns to reach $60,000 a year. You create a company, you deploy value in which society then pays you in return for that value at the equivalent of $60,000 a year and you automate it. Right. That's it. Those are your two pathways to achieve that. So you need to work. You need to look at the end, figure out and go back to where you are to the start. Lots of times though, that answer isn't what you want. Because if you know that you can make a 5% return, and you need to make $50,000 a year, well, you have to save a million dollars. Right. So for me, but we, I did that same exercise and that met, led, led me to hit the returns that I needed to make to reach the income that I need to make. And that's what led me to my financial vehicle. It makes sense, yeah. right? So yeah. that's how you can figure out what you need to do, right? Because you go, I have this much disposable income. So if you have $1,000 a month, you may say, I have $1,000 a month to, to start spending on a website. Well, let's start looking at different options and manners of things that I can do that fit within that budget constraints and start trying those, Yeah. right? Or I can save up if I, if I have $1,000 but I need to generate a 30% return and compound that out for five years. Okay, well, a 30% return, it can't be passive because I have to pay other people. So I need to be actively involved. Well, maybe that's buying dump houses, fixing them up, using hard money loans, repaying those, getting long-term loans on it at a 30%, refinancing and doing it again. Because if you're trying to get to that point, you need something called velocity of money. So capital is really important and necessary in the lifeblood to the creation process. And you need it to create. So you have to get those expenditures under control. And the more you want to create, the more cash flow you need. And I wanted to create a lot, so I kept really low expenditures. And you need to simplify it, and you need to have a direction and a clear target where you want to go. And I think the best way to do that is analyze these three points. You need to look at not only what, uh, so you have what you earn. So you have what you can obviously spend, and that's easy. If you don't have it, you can't spend it, and nobody will loan it to you. Look at the what risk you have embedded, right? If you are, you know, busting tables or whatever, and you know you're not going to be doing that in six months, you have no right to be taking out debt. I mean, you should not. <laughs> that's crazy, right? Because you know your income is not even steady, secure, because you are already having plans on not having that source of income. Right. So look at your risk. Look at the debt. It's not all equal in the risk. 
And then your final one, you have your goal, work backwards from the goal. And those three things will map out how you should be spending your money and what you need to, to do it. And I think those that have been successful and reached financial freedom, they've done that without realizing that they did it. Yeah. I mean, I think both me and you, when we were doing it, it wasn't until after, until I kind of thought, oh. That's the process. The process. Yep. And that's how. Even, I say after, both Rock and I, we, we would literally sit down and open up booklets and numbers and talk, and, we, and we'd both work backwards on our goals to figure out targets. And that's just a process that you need to start implementing today, is working backwards from the end and start to figure it out. You don't know how to get to somewhere where you don't know where you're going. Anything else you want to add on top of that? Uh, I mean, it makes sense. Find people that uh, can help you outline and map it and give you context for it. But I mean. Okay. That's that's a great point. I think we want to talk about it real quick before we end. Who would you use? And who, when when you say that, like, what are the guidance you'd give? I mean, just find people that are doing it. You can, I mean, look for look for people like you and people that have been successful in your area and pick their brain and see what they did. Nope. That. I agree with that. If you're making a decent amount of money, some is simple. If you're making a d- decent money, talk to accountants, yeah. do things like that. But that's what we've always done. I meet with people from everywhere, all over the place to help us work backwards through and try to achieve most of the large deals that we've done and large things that we've achieved came from a group of people figuring out how to achieve them. Yep. So don't expect to do it on your own. But anyways, we hope this one was helpful. We hope this one can lay out a map for you on understanding how your expenditures should work. And so you can plan and really get started. This is, I think a lot of times it's basic, but at the same time, it's incredibly important. And it's what will get you moving and get you started. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflowwiththenumber2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.